0: You are listening to the Swim Not Sync Leadership Podcast, the show for first-time leaders. For that moment in your career when the buck stops with you. This is your window into the world of how to lead successfully. Now over to your host, James Nagel. Hi, and welcome to the new episode of the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast, the show for first-time leaders. I'm James Nagel, and today my guest is Kevin Doak. Kevin has worked in four multinationals across five countries and is now the boss of Sanofi Consumer Healthcare in Turkey, and all that at the ripe young age of 35. He was a client of mine during his first 90 days, and I'm sure he'll have some great insights for other first-time leaders. He can talk to his experience of leading in a new culture, of having a coach, and why leadership is not about being the smartest person in the room. It's my pleasure to introduce Kevin Doak. Hi, Kevin. Hi, James. How are you? Very good. And I'm really looking forward to to the chat today because look, you're six months in the role. Um, so let's go back to the beginning. What were you actually brought in to do? Um
1: I think uh when I originally started the role, um, a lot of the brief that I had was that um it was going to be a very big transformation, and that the business had gone through uh, some particularly tough times uh, because of a macroeconomic situation, and also because of underperformance. and And the brief I'd been given was that it, it needed a, a big turnaround, and it was very much being positioned as as the business needed to be uh, almost started from scratch again, and that it had some some serious underlying problems and issues. Um, However, once once I got there and, and when we started talking in the beginning about whether that's really what was required or not, it started to become a little bit different.
0: Tell us about the evolution and who was involved in sort of getting to the core.
1: I think um, it was mainly as I started talking to the leadership team um, and trying to understand really the underlying causes of why the business had been underperforming. And it was more that there was significant one-offs in the business rather than it being um, a real underlying problem with performance. And so once I'd started to ask those questions to the right people, um, we started discussing that it was a bit more of a realignment and it needed um, to be chosen to, to realign certain areas of the business and to focus on certain things rather than having to start from scratch. And that the fundamentals of the business in terms of the people, in terms of the brands, and in terms of the plans, they were all quite solid. And so that changed. It changed the briefing of what I imagined I would have to do in the first kind of 90 days significantly. And it was a big mindset change for me and also communicating that to to my manager that that I didn't believe that it needed to completely restart the business, that the fundamentals were good and demonstrating that. And then that changed the priorities over the next three to six months.
0: And listening to you, I'm sure you had, I'm sure you're glad you had those conversations with the management team because otherwise you could have gone off in the completely, let's say, wrong direction. Yes. You mentioned two words there, transformation and and realignment. And we're both aware of where they come from. Do you, do you want to just talk about how you understand the difference between the two, the two concepts?
1: I mean, we talked uh, a lot about this STARS model um, of the different situations that you can be in when you, when you come into a, a role like this um and very much that the the turnaround or transformation was that um everything has to be started from scratch in terms of people in terms of plans in terms of the whole business and that there is uh that there isn't any uh, there isn't anything that you can build on you have to start from the very beginning whereas the realignment were very much that there is a lot of good things perhaps it hasn't been maximized and Uh, The right things haven't been focused on, but the fundamentals were good. Um, And so that's where that understanding came from, because there was a danger that if I had pursued the first route, that I would have made some very bad decisions. Um, And because I had that conversations and also they were honest conversations. And it was that the team was able to speak honestly, um, because that was something that I wanted to establish very quickly from the beginning was, the safe environment that you could have that honest conversation. Um, And that was one of the big reasons why I think, why why I was put into this role in particular, because uh, I was able to have that and get to the root cause of that, uh, the underlying problems with the business.
0: And when you went back to your, let's call it the superiors with this sort of insight and this, is this really what we want to do? what, What was their reaction? How receptive were they?
1: Uh, quite receptive because there's trust. Um, and and a lot of it is that, um, that, that there's a big trust in terms of being put into this role that um, I'm being uh, given the authority to be able to make that judgment um, and I'm not being forced to go in one direction or another. Um, And there's a lot of trust uh, involved in that, and and that I was very happy with. So when I'm able to explain and justify why I believe that it's more of a realignment situation, um, then there's a big big trust in that. Of course, it comes with the responsibility of then having to show quick wins, which was another thing that we went into very quickly and and showing that by realigning rather than transforming, we're able to come back to the performance expectations. So the conversation was okay because there was quite a lot Trust in being put into the position,
0: and I couldn't underline the importance of what you said enough. Because in a way, it's the first time when you're the leader. No one's ever going to give you any credit if you say, "Look, I did what I was told, or I did what I was briefed." Yes, that is. This is the first moment where you've got to say, "Look, regardless of what the brief has been, this is what I this is how I assess the situation, and this is how I'm going to bring it forward." So, look, that that's really good. So, if we look now a bit at your own personal experience as the leader um what's been different versus what you expected
1: i think um part of it has been the way that i've had to to act in the role um or or starting to come to a realization of how i'm going to be successful in the role and we talked a lot about um part of the journey that i had to go through is realizing that it's no longer about being the smartest person in the room And, and having to go through that and realize how do I bring value to the business without having, without having that to lean back on, which predominantly has been, that's how you get to where you are and having to accept that that's no longer the way to be successful in this role. So that's probably been the thing that, um, kind of the, the the change I've had to make in the way that I, um, manage and lead and, 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 and do my role. Um, And I would say that is something of a journey that I had to go through in in the business. Always when you come into this, you you go back into your, uh, I would say, your comfort zones of your uh, strengths, which uh, for me were mainly in sales and going into the daily sales and understanding how we hit the numbers and so on. But having to take a step back from that and realizing and trusting that you have a head of sales to do that now, your job is to do something very different, which is uh, to understand, as we said, what the situation is, to focus the organization, to motivate the team, and then finding things that I can add value to, to do those kind of things.
0: And in your day-to-day do you give yourself time for a bit, of, a bit of space, a bit of creativity, or are you, you know, meeting after meeting? What, what's your approach?
1: I think one of the big learnings that, that we discussed quite close to the beginning was in terms of controlling, controlling my own agenda. And in the first couple of months, I don't think I did it particularly well. And it was a learning for me in terms of your diary can fill up very quickly. And people can fill it up if you let them. Um, and there was a day when we spoke, where I was back to back in meetings, and we just said, "No, cancel that meeting. What do you want to do?" And I and and we cancelled one, and we took one of the meetings to the stores. So the meeting with the head of sales wasn't in the, the conference room anymore. We moved it to the to the to the store, and we had the conversation of what we needed to discuss in the store. So having having control over my own agenda was a big one. Um, Another one that, that that we put in as a, a development objective for, for my year was um, never to eat lunch alone or never to skip lunch. Um, and so to always ask, uh, no matter whether it's somebody, one of the management trainees, whether it's one of the brand managers, whether it's one of somebody from supply or finance, ask them for lunch. Uh, and that one hour where it, it was more of a lunch was a bit of an inconvenience during the day that broke up all the meetings, that one hour became far more valuable than all of the other meetings and so on. So in terms of my own development, it was making a conscious effort to make time in my agenda for myself, not just for developing the business or managing and leading the business, but planning time for myself to develop as well.
0: And it's amazing. I'm sure you get more enjoyment out of those lunches (laughs) than you could ever have imagined. It's surprising. (laughs) The variety of of stuff you talk. So you you often, it's your style, you make it sound all easy. Um, Can you talk a little bit to, you know, what have the biggest stretches been? Um,
1: Really, one of the biggest stretches is obviously you move into these different roles in different companies and different cultures. And one of the big things that I wanted to do here is I, I decided to do something very outside of my comfort zone. And for the first time, I, I I wanted to learn to speak the local language. And roughly, it was around about 90 days after the joining the, the business, we had our kickoff meeting for the year. And my the ambition was to be able to speak the first few sentences of, of that kickoff meeting in Turkish. Um, And so that's been one of the things that um, has been very difficult for me, firstly, to find the time to do it. Also, I'm not very good at it, and it takes a lot of effort to do something that you know is not one of your strengths and you really want to do it. But the impact that it had on me personally, but also in terms of engagement and respect from the team, has been enormous, and uh, the the kickoff meeting. My first three sentences got a lot more applause than the next thirty minutes of my speech, and so it, it really helped to to show that that genuine genuine side that that I was there and I wanted to build the relationships and uh, and and be part of the team there as well.
0: And it's worth just for the listeners to sort of give respect to you because you've committed basically to the global public that you are now <laughs> determined determined to learn Turkish. But despite what I would say, despite a stellar CV, what's interesting is that you were monolingual and, you know, it is remarkably different, difficult, difficult as the boss to have that faltering, even to say, you know, where is, where is the meeting room or where do I get a coffee? <laughs> So, you know, I think it is humbling and I I really I really give you give you credit for that. Um what about the relationship with the team? I mean, clearly you're an expat working in a in a in a foreign market. How how have you found that? I think you have to build it uh, initially when you come into
1: these kind of roles and when you have a CV when you move very often there's always a, a suspicion that okay this person's coming and, and gonna be going in 18 months time or something um, and you've really got to to be honest and open and show um, show that you are there not just for the business that you are there for them as well. So in terms of the relationships it takes a bit of time to build um, and they do evolve but a lot of it comes down to what we spoke about about the relationship that I have almost with your superiors you want to have trust with your team. Um, And the biggest thing that I've tried to work on in terms of the relationship is to have that foundation of trust with them. So I've always been extremely open. Uh, I've always shared as much information as possible. Um, And I've always tried to involve people in the decisions. When we were talking about the situation of the business at the beginning, once we'd uncovered that a realignment was required. Um, it's then about bringing everyone on board to helping with that situation. So once I've done that, that's helped to build a lot of the relationships because they don't see it as being a one-man show. They see it as everyone being part of coming up with this realignment strategy and then giving them the visibility and credit that they're the ones doing this work and I'm just guiding and shaping it. So it's really that relationships with the team have been built uh, upon that in terms of the the people lower down in the organization, before they had always felt quite distant uh, and the people who were based outside of the office, we've made a big effort to try and go to them. Uh, and we've been traveling a lot to the different cities and so on uh, to show that we want to help, to show that we understand uh, and to show that um, we know that what they're doing is a is a difficult job and our job is to try and make things easier for them. So we're trying to listen and we're trying to, to, to visit people where they are um, to try and help build the relationships through the entire organization. Um, and obviously, it, it helps when you when you do that because they feel a little bit more uh, of the trust again in the organization.
0: So the theme we, we, we sort of jointly chose for this was it's not about being the smartest person in the room. Now, interestingly, what has replaced that? If I was asking your team, what posture does, does Kevin take as a leader? What would they say you bring? Uh,
1: I, I hope that they would say energy. Um, I think the one thing that you can bring, if you're not adding, uh, if you're not in the room to say the, most, the smartest thing in that room, I think you've got to set the tone for the organization. And what we were trying to build was a very dynamic, modern and positive organization because we wanted to drive it more towards those uh, cultural attributes and those those things. So I think hopefully they would say that that's the leadership that I'm bringing to the, to the room when I walk in, in the mornings and so on, is to bring the energy, to bring the positivity and to bring the clarity of the decisions and direction. So I don't think you need to be the smartest person in the room in order to do that. Um, and I think that they would recognize that um, there is an an underlying part to me, but what I'm trying to bring is setting the right tone of the organisation we're trying to build.
0: Great. So now to move it forward to sort of the current, um, you're now six months in the role, mm-hmm. um, so you've you've got your swimming badge. Yes. You're there. Um, what's keeping you awake at night? And I don't want to make this a COVID only discussion, right? But but if you're sort of thinking, what are the what are the bits that are still? Um, not clear for you.
1: Um, at Turkey is always a, a a market that can be impacted by very large macroeconomic factors that can happen quite quickly. Um, so they're probably they're probably the bits that if you ask me that that keep you awake at night. But I'm trying to accept there are some things you cannot influence, and there are some things you you try not to worry about so much because they're going to affect everyone equally. What I'm trying to do is figure out how we can be better at coping and adapting when those situations inevitably happen. So I'm trying to figure out how we equip the team because you can't stop a devaluation or you can't stop an economic crisis. We're trying to figure out how we would equip ourselves to cope with it and then come out of it as a a stronger organization. So the biggest thing that probably keeps us awake at night or keeps we awake at night are those things that you can't control. The way to try and sleep is realize you cannot control them uh, and focus on uh, focus on what we can.
0: That sounds that sounds very fair and and mature beyond beyond your years. So, look, you know, I I built my practice around, you know, sink or swim. um, And part of your role is now developing developing the organization. So when you're seeing people being promoted within the organization, what's your let's call it philosophical approach in terms of what support is appropriate? You know, is it let them let them at it? They will learn on the job, or is it much more um, uh, paternalistic?
1: The two biggest or the two biggest things that I've found is is encouraging people to realise again, as, as as I had to, and I'm sure most people go through that. Definitely, you need to when you move into a bigger or more senior role. What's made you get the promotion is not what's going to make you successful when you're in that role. Uh, and knowing that and being conscious of it is half of the battle. Once you're conscious of it and you know you've got to do things differently, I think that's the biggest step. The second one, or, or, or to people moving and, and being promoted and progressed, is you have to find time for yourself. Um, and you have to do it. It's it's very difficult. I, we, you can always forget to do it. And even I do now sometimes. And it, it's one where you have to be consciously thinking about what is the next area I need to develop in to to become a better leader, to become better at what I'm doing? So they would be the two things I I, I would say are the, the recommendations.
0: And I think the second one is obvious, hard to do, but it's it's kind of obvious and just needs to be repeated. The first one is maybe more novel, which is, you know, what got you here won't necessarily get you there. Would you be very explicit with people on that? Yes.
1: Very explicit because I I think – is, is one that um, most people and, and myself included, you sometimes fall into that trap uh, and you always go back to your comfort zone. And your comfort zone is things that you are good at and things that have made you successful in the past. Um, that's probably not what your team needs you to do when you come into these leadership roles. Uh, and in fact, it's probably going to be detrimental. Um, so, um, it's one where I think you have to be explicit and honest with people because as you said, it doesn't, it's not one that comes naturally or it's not an obvious one.
0: And and to be fair, through my whole career, nobody was ever as explicit as that. And in a way I wish they had been. (laughs) Yes. How, how do the, how do people react when you're, when you, when you say that to them?
1: I think, uh, again, it is, it's this trust and this honesty. Um, when I'm saying it, it's saying it for the right reasons. It's not because you don't want them to be successful. It's because you know that they've got the agility to do more than what they have in the past. Um, so I think uh, as long as you're open about the reasons of why you're saying it, the reactions are always quite positive um of course there's always a risk that some people might think that the that, that it's it's coming from the wrong part from the wrong perspective but um as long as there's the honesty and it's it's coming from a, a genuine place then i think they react quite positive
0: and it's funny when i listen to you it's it's sort of tough advice but given at the ideal moment because you're you've just promoted them so you're you're on one hand, you're, you know, you're giving them your confidence and on the other, you're saying, look, there is a renewal involved here. You know, so if it's probably the only moment in time that you can give that where it might be received positively. Um, yeah, I think I think that's really, really strong. And as I said, it was never said to me. Was it ever said to you pre, pre this assignment? No,
1: I think it was maybe it was hinted at. But as you said, not explicitly because I think it's sometimes a difficult conversation to have because when you're being promoted, you're being patted on the back saying you're doing such a good job. Is it difficult then to say, but now you go back to the beginning of that learning curve again, or you go back to realizing that to be successful in this next role, you have to do something different. So maybe it was hinted at, but I don't think it was ever spoken as explicitly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So to all those one trick ponies, as I would call them, and I was one, one myself at a, at a period in my career, it is all about being open, as I say, going back to the start of the conversation when you said, if you hadn't had those discussions with your team to fully understand what are you trying to fix, you might have gone off on the, wrong, on the wrong path. So now the sort of wrap it all together uh, wisdom question, you know, if, uh, if there's a new GM appointed in Sanofi and they're pointed in your direction. what What are the what are the gems or pieces of advice that you'd give them as they start off? The non obvious ones, I hope. <laughs>
1: um, ask ask the right questions. Don't make assumptions, because that was the biggest thing. If I had assumed that it was a, a turnaround or a transformation, uh, if I assumed that and didn't ask the right questions, then I wouldn't have gone on the right path. So I think. Um, don't make too many assumptions and ask the right questions um, and create the right environment so that you get honest answers to those questions. People can always answer your questions, but if they give you just the answers they think you're looking for, then it's also not going to help. So you need to have that uh, as you it's about the relationships you were talking about. You don't have them at the beginning, but you need to come across as a, as, as a safe place where they can have those honest conversations. So I think asking the right questions and creating an environment to, for the team to give the right answers uh, is going to be the biggest area that you can give advice to someone moving into one of these uh, first-time leader type positions. Um, and then being honest with yourself, I think, is the big thing. Like we talked about in terms of making sure you you pick things that are genuine development areas for yourself. Make tough uh, tough decisions. Um, show show your genuine uh, to, to the team, um, and do things that show that you also want to develop yourself as well. Set an example that if you expect people to develop in their role, that you need to show that you're doing things to develop yourself, and uh, what has made you successful in the past is not what's going to make you successful now. Therefore, you need to develop some things yourself. So I would say that would be, that would be my advice.
0: I think you might have a few uh, Sanofi GMs on the phone to you. <laughs> that's a new stage. look, Kevin, that's been a real pleasure. Thanks for your time. All right. Thanks, James. You've been listening to the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast. Subscribe at SwimNotSync.com forward slash podcast.